We are glad to have Ryan Siemens, the Mennonite Church Saskatchewan area minister, with us this morning. And we pray that God's peace will be with you as you speak and lead us in the service of installation. Welcome. Good morning. And may the peace of Jesus Christ be with you. I bring you greetings this morning on behalf of your sisters and brothers throughout Mennonite Church, Saskatchewan, as we gather to celebrate the coming together of pastor and congregation. But before we do that, I'd like to spend a little bit of time focusing on some profiles of hope. When I heard that the worship theme over the next several weeks was on profiles of hope, my mind immediately went to a couple of people who have been influential in my own life and studies. I guess in the same way that songs and hymns of our youth stick with us as we grow older, I came across these two individuals during very impressionable times in my life. The first person I'd like to highlight is Martin Luther King Jr. When I was a CNBC CMU student 20 years ago, I lived for one year at an intentional Christian community called Jubilee Partners. I know a few others who, uh, in this congregation who have lived in that place. Jubilee Partners is located 90 minutes northeast of Atlanta in rural Georgia. And maybe because I was a Canadian prairie kid living in the rural south, or maybe because of my keen interest in history, though I have to admit, I don't recall learning about Violet in high school. I took as many opportunities as I could to learn the history of slavery and civil rights in the American South. I visited as many civil rights museums as I could. I spent some time in Savannah, which was fascinating, the history there. I visited the Martin Luther King Jr. Center in Atlanta twice, and then another two times in my life since that year. And because Jubilee had no TV or dial-up, I mean, and only had dial-up internet, this was 1999, I read everything Jubilee had that King had written in their small 3,000 book library. And what caught my attention which is something that is not overly emphasized in many places, is that Martin Luther King Jr. was first and foremost a pastor who deeply loved Christ and the people he was called to serve. Even in his last rather tumultuous year of his life, traveling across the country, leading rallies, giving speeches, he regularly called back on Wednesdays to his church administrator in Atlanta at Ebenezer Baptist Church with the scripture texts and sermon title for Sunday. One could go so far as to say that it was precisely because he was a pastor called to feed God's sheep, as Jesus instructed Simon Peter, that King was motivated to change the circumstances of his country so that his sheep could be properly cared for. And of course, he wasn't alone in the process. It was the women of Montgomery, Alabama that did most of the organizing that led to Rosa Parks' protest on the bus 
1954. And it was a 25-year-old, freshly installed king, pastor of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, that galvanized folks with a sermon as people gathered at the church to f that first night to encourage people to organize transportation so that the bus strike could last long enough for change to happen and to maintain a posture of nonviolence. This speech launched King to the forefront of the movement, a movement rooted in agape love. Many of King's early writings focus on ag agape love, which, in re referencing to the text read earlier, is the same word Jesus uses to ask Peter the first two times if he loves him. Agape love was the focus. Nonviolence was the way forward. And the central reason King chose to the root of nonviolence is because the love he had for his people extended to his enemies. King recognized that, recognized that his oppressors needed as much freedom from their oppressing as his people needed from oppression. Thus, his freedom was caught up in theirs. And so while converting the laws in the South were necessary, he understood that the laws could only go so far. After the segregation laws ended and integration laws were enforced, what happened in many small communities is that those who had privilege, they would pull their kids out of the public schools and start private or charter schools. And of course, those charter and private schools, they, they enforced the law of the land. They were technically integrated, except they cost money. But then the parents who sent these kids to these new private and charter schools also sat on school boards for the public system, or for the state, or for the city, and they would decrease the amount of funding that was sent to public schools. So even though the law of the land had changed, the hearts of the people did not. And so what King writes is that for the culture to truly change, that can only come about through the conversion of the heart, which can only happen through love. It was because of this deep love for his people, including his enemies, that King pushed for change in society and in hearts. And this push eventually led his, to his assassination on the morning of April 4th, 1968. And you could say by that point, his freedom was already found. For on the night before his death, at a rally for sanitation workers in Memphis, Tennessee, Echoing the words of Moses, King said, Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I have been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we, as a people, will get to the promised land.
The second person that immediately popped up into my mind when I heard the news of Hope Profiles of Hope was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who I became well acquainted with in both college and seminary, acquainted with his writings, not him. <laughs> I've aged well. When Sandra and I traveled to Germany eight years ago, we did a little bit of a Bonhoeffer pilgrimage, visiting his home in Berlin, and then in the guest book, I could see all these Mennonite names in the guest book, and then also we traveled to the Buchenwald concentration camp, where he was held shortly before his death. Now for those of you unfamiliar with Bonhoeffer, like Martin Luther King, he was first and foremost a pastor, and wrote prolifically. He graduated with a doctorate of theology in 1927, when he was only 21 years old, and he became ordained as a priest in 31 at the age of 25. He spent some years in Spain, England, and the U.S., where he worshipped with an African-American community in Harlem for six months before becoming a pastor and, most notably, an outspoken critic of Nazi Germany and the dangerous rise of Hitler. It was only two days after Hitler was elected to power in January of 1933, with tremendous support of Christians in Germany, that Bonhoeffer was live on radio, tele, uh, radio criticizing Nazi, Nazism and the danger of an idolatrous cult of the Fuhrer. And then his broadcast was cut off in midair. Later that same year, he raised opposition to the persecution of Jews. He organized a group of leaders called the Confessing Church to resist the growing infiltration of Nazi ideology in the church. He developed an underground seminary to train leaders because he couldn't meet or speak in public anymore. And he eventually worked with a group of officials in an attempt to overthrow Hitler and stop the war. And while his work against the forces of despair are often highlighted and made most prominent, as I get more and more into this work of being the conference pastor, it is his little book called Life together that I find most challenging and hopeful for today. As Mennonite Church Saskatchewan, our theme this year is deepening our walk with each other, which is rooted in the Anabaptist value and belief that as followers of Christ, we are called to live into community. We cannot follow Jesus by ourselves. But as we all know, life together is not easy work. As much as we Mennonites hold up community as important for following Jesus, have you ever seen the Anabaptist Mennonite timeline and how often we have split since the early 1500s? We have a great church planting program. Disagree. <laughs> Living together is not easy to do. Yet spirituality centered on Christ places us in community because it is only when we commit to one another that we're able to learn to love God and others the way that Jesus loved God and loved others, which I would argue is the goal of Christian discipleship. Detached from community, we can easily come up with our own nice lofty ideals of what Christian community ought to look like, but then when we come face to face with other real human beings 
real human beings who might have their own ideas and their own ideals of what Christian community ought to look like. These ideals get put to the test, causing disagreement and possibly even conflict. And then the illusion of the perfect church goes pop. It's to this concern about life together, about living well together, that Bonhoeffer has much insight to offer. Now one note, if you go further in his book, he says four-part harmony is bad. I would like to talk with him about that, but that won't happen on this side of the gates. Other pieces he has, I think, are helpful. And he writes, Innumerable times, a whole Christian community has broken down because it has sprung from a wish dream. The serious Christian set down for the first time in a Christian community is likely to bring with them a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be and then to try and realize it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate, lucky enough, with ourselves. By sheer grace, God will not permit us to live even for a brief period in a dream world. God does not abandon us to those rapturous experiences and lofty moods that come over us like a dream. God is not a God of the emotions, but the God of truth. Only that fellowship which face such disillusionment with all its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to be what it should be in God's sight, begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given to it. The sooner the shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the better for both. The one who loves their dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though their personal intentions may ever be so honest and earnest and sacrificial. As Mennonites, we hold up a pretty high ideal of ourselves and what church ought to look like. Thus, these are very challenging words. As followers of Jesus, we are not called to love the ideals of what our sisters and brothers ought to live up to. We are simply called to love our brothers and sisters as Christ does. And to that end, this cost Bonhoeffer his life. In 1939, just as the war was breaking out, Bonhoeffer was invited to Union Theological Seminary in New York to teach. Really, it was an invitation to stay alive. But he couldn't remain at a distance. He loved his German people, the sheep he was called to shepherd. He loved the ones that started the confessing church and worked at the resistance. And he loved the ones who voted for Hitler and were deceived by the Nazis. He loved the sheep even when they went terribly astray. 
And he also came to realize that the redemption for Germany would only come through its own destruction. When asked by the General Secretary of the World Council of Churches, what do you pray for? He responded, if you want to know the truth, I pray for the defeat of my nation. However, he would not pray for that from afar. He had to return to Germany. And so he returned on the last passenger ship that left New York before the war was fully blown to go and work against, to be with his people, to suffer with his people, to work against the tyranny, and to eventually die a martyr's death two weeks before Germany surrendered the war. To love like Christ is ultimately to suffer with him in his redemptive work in the world. The little note after the conversation between Peter and Jesus points to this. And while I lean, my hope is for a much better future for you than King and Bonhoeffer. As you come to love the people you've been called to serve, you will also suffer with them. And I don't mean this in any masochistic or negative way, but when you open your heart to others, in the way that Jesus opened his heart to us, you become bound together in each other's lives, and in that, their joy becomes your joy. Their hopes become your hopes, and their suffering becomes your suffering. And in that, God's love as revealed to us through Christ Jesus, the love that shines into the darkness of despair, is made known. Amen. this time, Eileen, I'd like to invite you to come forward. So let us do together this litany of installation and credentialing. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Rabbi, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed Christ's sheep. In the days following the resurrection, Jesus met with Peter and commissioned him to serve the beloved community and to bind his life to theirs. Today we come together as Eileen accepts the call to serve as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ here at Wildwood Mennonite Church and intertwines her life with your life. Today is a day of celebration and consecration as we install Eileen as one of your pastors, license her for specific ministry, and enter into a covenant of mutual accountability. Eileen, do you reaffirm your baptismal vows and your commitment to Jesus Christ? Do you accept the call to pastoral leadership from Wildwood Mennonite Church as a call from God? I do. Will you commit yourself to using the gifts God has given you and minister to this community out of a life centered in relationship to Jesus Christ? I will. We recognize that pastoral ministry at Wildwood Mennonite Church is a shared ministry. Joe, Sarah, and David, will you offer yourself to the, this mutual ministry, seeking to give and receive support through prayer and encouragement? 
promise to be faithful in my task here at Wildwood Mennonite Church, striving for excellence as God gives me strength and ability. Representing the extended church family, Mennonite Church Saskatchewan values the partnership demonstrated here and promises to be supportive. Eileen, based on this covenant between the congregation and you, we install you as pastor of Wildwood Mennonite Church, committing them to your spiritual care, and you are licensed to Christian ministry for this congregation. We do this all in the holy name of our creator, God, in the saving name of Jesus, and in the powerful name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Eileen, preach the word, offer the ordinances, bear witness in word and in deed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to invite Eileen to come down here, and for anyone who would like to lay their hands upon her, I invite you to come forward. Bless the covenant that we have made as pastor and people. Ensure that all will be mutually shaped and molded by the generous exchange of the gifts that they bring to this church. Bless Eileen as she lives out her calling with this congregation. Give her a discerning heart, confidence in her call, strength and joy in the tasks of ministry now set before her. Make us partners with her in ministry, constant in support and prayerful in all things. Embrace and touch us with your favor and bond us together in the bond of peace. We pray and offer this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> 